Hi, and welcome to Books in the Biz. I am Dan Paulson, one of your co-hosts here, and I am joined by Richard Veltri. Rich, hey. how are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am very good. So uh, some of you might be wondering what the hell we are doing, because you might know Richard, you might know me, you might know both of us if you're so lucky or so inclined. Uh, but what we've uh, decided to do is put together a little podcast here, which we're going to do every week. Hopefully we're going to go live due to some technical learnings that we're doing. Uh, obviously, we're we're not as technically savvy as we probably were 20 years ago, right, Rich? That's right. <laughs> we're still trying to figure all this stuff out. So our, our go live attempt today will be on, on pause until we can get the, the right software in place. But we wanted to introduce ourselves and kind of explain a little bit about what Books in the Biz is going to be all about. Um, Rich, why don't you start with telling a little bit about your background yourself and, and what you're going to be sharing on these episodes? Sure. Um, I am a longtime former C uh, CPA with a big four firm years ago, uh, became an outsourced and fractional CFO, uh, spent about the last 20 years working in that space, helping smaller companies, bringing them the knowledge that I learned from working with the bigger companies. So um, for Books in the Biz, um, I'm planning on bringing as much financial knowledge, acumen, whatever you want to call it, um, I'm planning on bringing that to the table and bringing it to relevant topics. Great. And then there's me, I'm Dan Paulson. I own a company called Division Development International. You can find me at danpaulsonletsgo.com. Um, what I'm hoping to bring is about 30 some years worth of operations experience. Uh, while I don't have big four experience like Rich does, I do have a lot of experience working with multi-billion dollar companies prior to launching my own business. And since then, I've been working as an executive coach and strategist for many different companies out there of varying sizes, uh, helping them with anything from operations to workplace culture, and really getting a, an understanding of how, how, helping them understand how their business is working, what they need to do to change it. And what got us to this point, and, and Rich, I'll, I'll let you jump in and comment here, we've been talking for the past several months and there's one thing that always seems to be missing when either one of us are working with with companies. And it really came down to that connection between the financial strategy side and the business strategy side. Would you agree? I would absolutely agree. I think every client that I've been working with, even lately in the last couple of years, it's kind of surprising to realize you either have a company that's very operations focused or financial focused. And then the problem is you really need something to bring them together because you can't go too far one way or too far the other. You miss something. And then, you know, it becomes a, a becomes a giant case study to figure out what's going <laughs> on in there. It just seems to it seems to write itself. And, and many companies just find themselves leaning one way or the other. And they should uh, they should find a way to get that balance right. So with some of those case studies from your experience, what do you think are some of the things that we're going to be talking about in the coming weeks and months as we uh, we kick off these podcasts? I think one of the biggest things is gonna wind up being communication. I think, I think it can be where one side knows what it's doing and one side knows what it's doing, but together they don't follow what the other one's doing. So if you get some communication going, whether that's a, a cadence of meetings, whether it's a cadence of, of you know, shared reporting, you know, there, there has to be something that crosses over. 
um, you know, we'll wind up talking about things called KPIs. That'll probably be a whole session, what a KPI <laughs> is. You know, but usually I look at it as the best KPI, key performance indicator, is one that uses both financial and operational data and puts them together. If you're comparing the two at the same time, you wind up with some really, really great insight into what's going on in your company. And I think when people aren't talking, you just, you'll never get to that KPI. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I, I see numerous companies because I do come at things from the operational side and even talking with the business owner, some of the things they want to do, they haven't really thought about what are the financial impacts or ramifications of doing those. In some cases, it's like have money in the checkbook, let's spend. In other cases, don't have money in the checkbook, haven't figured out how we're going to get money in the checkbook to pay for what I want to do. And that becomes a, another issue. So having the financial wherewithal is just as important as having the operational vision of, of accomplishing your goals. And what I hope between the two of us that our audience really starts to get a feel for is, is we're going to talk about a number of scenarios. Both Rich and I have a background working with a number of companies of varying sizes and, and even varying stages of, of operation. So Rich, you've probably worked with more startups than I have. So you can kind of talk about some of the startup anxiety, problems, challenges that you run into when you're busy, uh, not only trying to create a product or a service, but also trying to incorporate how do we raise funds. Um, I probably, I think we both probably worked with a number of companies that are on the other side of the spectrum. So they're either getting ready to sell or, you know, there's some sort of next transition that they're looking at making and what are the steps or stages you have to do to, you know, really make that happen. I, yeah. I mean, what is your experience on when people are trying to get out of the business and they want, they've got this asset they want to maximize their value on? I'll let you share that's your a, part first and then I'll jump in after that. That's a huge, yeah, that's a huge topic. I mean, to what you were saying just a second ago, you know, you are trying to build a business. So there's going to be plenty of our conversations that will wind up talking about hurdles, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes you just hit a hurdle and you don't know how to get over it. And then you have to figure out, well, who can help me figure out how to get over that hurdle? And eventually the goal will be, as you said, you're going to get to the point where you're going to want to sell it. Uh, or I shouldn't say sell it because you know what, there's another topic that we might hit on, you know, is it a sell it? Is it a handoff? Is it, what is the exit strategy? And so, you know, each exit strategy has a different set of requirements, um, whether those are reporting requirements, whether those are internal communication requirements, how do you deal with your existing team? Um, so there's plenty of topic that goes along with just that exit planning. Um, and both operational and financial. That That's definitely going to be a, a lot of what we get to talk about. I, I know <laughs> you've got plenty of examples. I've got plenty of examples. Um, there are actually plenty of examples also that we can pull from, from the marketplace. So we'll also be talking about companies that you know and are familiar with. We kind of have to you know, protect the guilty with with companies we've worked with. But uh, if we're talking about an Apple or a IBM or a Ford or a GM or something like that, that there's a little bit more public knowledge on, obviously we haven't worked with them, but we can kind of share our insights and our experience and maybe what we would do differently than, than some of the actions that they're taking. So be watching for those in the upcoming episodes over the next several weeks. Uh, to give you a feel, we kind of were brainstorming before we started this session and 
decided we, you know, let's spend like 10 to 15 minutes just kind of picking a subject that's relevant in the news today and maybe talk about what our experience would be if we were working for that business right now. And, and probably the biggest one as we were getting ready to kind of record this, or at least one of the biggest topics was OceanGate. And for those of you who don't remember if this is listened to far enough in the future that uh, somebody's actually going to care, uh, OceanGate was, is, I guess is still, technically they're still a company. We'll see how much longer that lasts. Um, but they were providing <laughs> tourism to go see the wreck of the Titanic. And at the time of this recording, about a week after uh, what happened is uh, one of their trips was on their way down with several uh, high net worth individuals, we'll say, and all of a sudden the sub was no more. It imploded. And um, I think there's a lot of lessons to learn there, while hopefully not as uh, grandiose of failures as, as you know, some companies might make. Uh, it is a good sign of, you know, where do we where do we go when we're experimental and, and when we're dealing with risk, especially when we're dealing with risk in situations where we are dealing with high net worth people? Might make a sure. difference on how well your business survives after it's done. So, um, you know, what you've been watching on this, Rich, tell me a little bit more about your understanding of OceanGate and kind of where they're at and from a financial perspective, what would be your recommendations before they got to this point? Yeah, my um, I think it's unfolding still. Um, I think there's a lot of information coming out, especially about the CEO and what he uh, was believing was kind of his role in the whole thing. Um, it sounds to me like there was an awful lot of um, safety kind of being a secondary um, a secondary <laughs> importance. And so I worry a little bit about companies like that, that are basically laying out, you know, we're safe, can't prove it, but say we're safe. And then they collect some really, really big fees to go do something that is, um, dangerous and difficult. Um, and then you start to find out when something like this happens, you start to find out what was it that really was the, you know, issue you know, what caused this to happen that, you know, five people in an instant were killed. Um, and unfortunately, you know, you're now dealing with the aftermath in the why and the how, and the why and the how probably should have never had to be figured out because there should have been something that kept them, you know, uh, steaming ahead at full speed, but with caution. Um, That's a very good point, Rich. Uh, one of the things that I had heard, and, and correct me if you've heard something different, but th they did have people who were essentially helping with the construction of the sub. Um, and at that point, the CEO was already taking a number of shortcuts or kind of acting on his own belief. And now from an operations side, this is what I see a lot is you have the owner, CEO, chief, whatever, who has some degree of, of maybe arrogance or overconfidence, probably overconfidence is a better word, that they know enough and that they're doing the right thing. And unfortunately, a lot of times we only find out that, or they only figure out they're not doing the right thing when it's, it's too late. Now, in most cases, it's not as serious as this, but I've experienced times, um, and I'll let you jump in here too, where you know uh, an owner is so tied into their vision that they fail to see the 
hurdles, you mentioned hurdles earlier, we'll already be talking about the hurdles that are in the way that really are going to prevent them from getting to that level of success. And if you're already taking shortcuts early on, on something that's this serious and this risky, it's only a matter of time before that catches up to you. Wouldn't you agree? I would absolutely agree. And I think that, you know, for the, you know, from the financial standpoint, and I think this is where we're going to find out that financial and operational are going to cross over pretty hard at the legal dot in the middle of the two you know, trajectories. <laughs> That's usually um, where it is, you know, because I think it winds up being that, you know, everybody's, well, these people all knew the risk and they signed a waiver. And I'm like, generally what I've learned is that, you know, a waiver is a great thing if you're doing the right thing. Yes. If if there's, if there's any amount of negligence, I can only imagine how fast that waiver just goes into multiple pieces. It implodes um, just as fast as that subject. <laughs> very good. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, that's a, that's a great, well, not a great image, but it's a, it's a comparable image. 100%. Um, yeah. So I'm like looking at this and I'm saying, this is going to be a lesson. This is going to be a textbook lesson. This is going to be a chapter in a book somewhere of this is what not to do. At least that's what I think. It's not, you know, it's just my opinion, but you know, I immediately went to, Oh boy, you know, what happened with that? You know, mm -hmm. no, how does a waiver cover experimental? Because the way I understood it too, was the, this sub was not made out of, you know, traditional metal, et cetera. It was using carbon Correct. fiber. And I actually was following the Dreamliner for Boeing when they were building the Dreamliner and everybody's saying, oh, look at this, I'm putting it together with carbon fiber. And I went, it took me years to get comfortable with aluminum. <laughs> so, you know, now I got to get comfortable. Am I getting on a 787? Is that a, you know, is that a Dreamliner? Is that carbon fiber? Now I have to worry about what plane I'm getting on because I'm used to and comfortable with one and you're telling me I'm getting on one that's different. Um, so I have to imagine I can relay that to, you know, to this and say, you know, did everybody go in and take a look and say, well, wait a minute, this is different than anyone else that wants to go and bring me to the Titanic. And so, you know, am I comfortable with this? Um, yeah. And as a car guy, so car, you know, in any sports car at all, the big talk is always carbon fiber because more carbon fiber, the better. It's lightweight, it's stronger than steel, but it's also a lot more brittle. So it doesn't have the give, for example, that aluminum. Aluminum is designed to flex. In fact, that's what keeps your planes in the air. Is if you have something that's got no give to it, it's going to crack. And it, I believe the same thing um, in what I've heard from the experts about the, the sub was a similar situation. It, it's just not a material that's approved for that kind of pressure. And, and because there is no flex in it, it's going to crack and, and eventually shatter. And, you know, that's... Well, all these space age, you know, this is where technology sometimes fails us. We get too confident thinking that this is the end all be all material or, or you know, software, whatever it might be. You know, I'm sure at some point we'll also talk about AI and the impact that's going to have on business. And, and um, when we get that level of confidence that sometimes we, again, fail to see the shortcomings of that, because with anything, there's strengths and there's weaknesses. And if you're utilizing the best of whether it's people, whether it's systems, whether it's machining, whether it's materials, uh, you're going to get good results. But along with that, you also have to compensate for the areas where those shortcomings are going to surface. And, um, you know, on the sub side of things, while 
you know, that, that carbon fiber might sound like a really grand idea at the time. It's not going to sound like a really grand idea at 12,000 feet below the surface when, what is it, 6,000 pounds per square inch of yeah. pressure is coming at this this material from all sides, yeah. um, not to mention currents and, and fluctuations in, in temperatures and stuff like that can cause for, for a lot of issues. So right. very interesting how, how that's going to pan out. Um, you know, looking at it from a CFO side, and I guess, you know, one thing we should also say is, is well, we're not trying to make light of the situation here. Obviously, there's, um, there was severe, there was loss of life where five people lost their lives on this. Um, and it is a, you know, it's a sad situation, but if you don't take these situations and learn from them, you're doomed to repeat those mistakes again. Correct. Um, but, you know, from a, a CFO side of things, so put yourself in their position and you're a CFO and this company is starting up and, you know, you've had a fair amount of experience with startups. What are the things that you would look for, you would alert um, either the owners or the investors to that they need to be conscious of as as this type of company moves ahead? Um, I think any of these companies that have this type of inherent risk, um, I think you want to be able to see that your management team is paying attention to not only the potential for risk, but also the, I'll call it the, the maintenance side of it. Um, you know, if you're getting quality reports, you know, and a company like this is showing all of this money on a sub and the maintenance is a relatively low number then I think as an investor, this is where you're talking your KPIs, right? Your mm -hmm. um, amount of repair and maintenance as opposed to, you know, the cost of the actual building of the sub. Um, I think you would want to actually see a correlation there and see, are they spending money on taking care of this? Because I think it was a relatively simple setup. And from what I read, I remember somebody saying the simpler, the better. Um, <laughs> and which was a little surprising to me that someone would say the simpler, the better. I think that, you know, I don't see how simpler in this case mitigates the risk. You know, I think I would rather say they're spending a little extra. That's why it's 250000 dollars and they're spending a little extra to make sure that those five people are coming back because you're not going to get anybody else going in your sub right now right so you know so as you kind of alluded to in the beginning of the conversation you know is ocean gate even a viable company anymore if it can't show that it can protect you as you as you go down if your protection is only that first paragraph of the waiver that says you could die doing this um not necessarily a business that I think I want to get behind. Right, right. I, I think, you know, that statement that you you made is good. Um, simpler isn't always better. I guess the way I look at it from the operations side is simplicity makes sense, um, maybe in some design, but it doesn't necessarily mean that because of that design, you shouldn't be looking at materials, you shouldn't have safety inspections, you shouldn't have... Um, some sort of, of checks and rechecks. I mean, think of an airplane. You know, when when you hop on an airplane just to fly from one city to the next, 
there's pre-check inspections that go on. Most airplanes have so many systems of redundancy. Um, I mean, that's why planes don't fall out of the sky that often is because there are so many backups of backups of backups that in a commercial flight, you're really protected in a lot of ways. And that, that comes again some in some ways with government regulation, but also other ways that I think businesses realize if you kill off your customers, they don't come back. They don't repeat business. And, you know, that's where I think there's the balance between what government regulation does and what free market does is as long as there is a free market involved, you you do have the ability to make choices. Um, now, there probably aren't going to be many people making choices to go deep sea diving. That's not a normal situation. But but what was interesting is we just got done booking some excursions for a cruise. Well, guess what one of the excursions is, Rich? We're going on a submarine. Oh. <laughs> that got my wife asked me, so do you think this is safe? And oh, of no. course, it's a it's a sub that's been approved by the U.S. Coast Guard. It's only going down about 130 feet. It's yeah. obviously been used multiple, multiple times before. There's a different different set of requirements. Now we still have to we'll have to sign the waiver and say, you know, first paragraph, you could die doing this. But um, I think that's where our risks are mitigated to the point where we feel fairly safe. Now, yeah. something you brought up before we we started recording this, which I thought was was very good. Um, you talked a little bit about NASA and rocket launches and and how how the risks there might be different than the risk here, but also some of the things that happen. You want to share kind of what you were what you were talking about there? Yeah, I mean, the you go back and take a look at any of the. Uh, I remember seeing. I think it was on Netflix. I think I saw one of these um, documentaries on the Challenger, and it wasn't so much just about the Challenger. It was about what was going on at NASA that caused or brought you know additional cause to the Challenger disaster, um, and it became sort of this mundane kind of monotony of space shuttle launches. Oh, we can go every week because that was the whole design that they said this was supposed to work where the space shuttle could go up and it would land and two seconds later you could launch it again. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you start looking at something like this disaster that just happened and you remember, you know, what happened with the Challenger was, you know, things started to kind of slip because they said, it's just, it's no big deal. We go every week, it's no problem. You know, and then when something, you know, hit, when something hit, you know, the, the underbelly of the, of the challenger, it was almost like, you know, happens all the time. Um, and so that was, you know, that was just, you know, they got, they got too lax in what they were doing because they actually just believed that everything was working just fine. And my gut was immediately to think of that when we were talking about OceanGate, when this first came up and they started talking immediately about the CEO and the comments he made about, you know, safety. We're more safe than anybody, than anybody else, you know, and I don't know why you're all worried about it. You know, when I start hearing things like that, I get a little more nervous because I'm saying, think about the things you're not studying. You know, what happened with the Challenger? What happened with Columbia? You know, I mean, different different but the same you know different launch different place you were trying to get to but same result a couple times so you got to learn from that so your point about you know learning from history yeah absolutely i think that brings up another important lesson is that it is human nature to get complacent 
And I don't care if you're a company that's hammering out widgets, screws, gears, um, food products, whatever it might be. It's very common for human beings as they do repetitive things over and over again. I worked in the restaurant industry, for example. Well, restaurant, you have food safety. Does that mean I would eat at any and every restaurant that I can find? Definitely not, because there are different levels of quality of food safety, depending upon how seriously that that manager or that owner takes it. In some places, they're clean enough, I could go in and eat off the floor. In other places, it's a roach motel and there's no way in hell you're going to catch me live or dead eating there. Yeah. And that's most common what I see when I'm being brought in to work with companies that um, either are successful or experiencing dips or, or struggling with certain things is they've gotten so accustomed to what they're doing. They take everything for granted. And then those, those things that they were best at at one point now have, have kind of become commonplace to them. And, and they haven't bothered to look and see what shortcuts are they taking? Um, where are they skipping steps that were crucial before you know, similar to what you were talking about with the Challenger incident, you know, if you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, eventually you're going to look for ways to do it easier. Path of least resistance is common, common element in, in human nature is actually basically universal law. You know, everything follows the quickest, easiest route to get to where it wants to go. And if it's not just you, well, even if it is just you getting comfortable with something to the point where it seems to become second nature, sometimes so allows you or your employees to take liberties that they shouldn't be taking, which then affects quality, affects service, affects everything across the board, which then obviously back to the, the financial side, you know, what do you have to spend when you've made some mistakes and it's damaged your reputation? Or it's damaged your quality. You know what? What sort of grounds do you need to cover financially to to recoup that? It's got to be pretty substantial, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you know there is a t there tends to be a lack of kind of a review of what does it cost just to keep things up, so that you don't have those issues or don't spend the money because you know you think that's the better answer, but you're just headed further and further into a disaster that's gonna cost you more than it would have if you had just kept up the maintenance. Um, you know, I had the luxury of working for a company that was doing pharmaceutical distribution and they did cold storage for companies that had created you know, pharmaceuticals even overseas and they just handled all of the, the housing of it. What you what you kind of have to think about is the fact that I had a, a bigger quality control department, okay, over drugs that weren't even manufactured by my company. I had a bigger quality control department in that than we actually had an accounting department. So they were much bigger on keeping control of that because of the risk of what happens if those pharmaceuticals go bad. What happens mm -hmm. if, you know, there's an expiration, you know, you want to make sure, you know, it's, it's on you to make sure that it's done right and kept in a, in a good way. And, you know, it's on you to make sure that it's safe. So again, better lessons there. These people were paying attention to the fact that we're going to mitigate the risk by maintaining the, the quality. Mm-hmm. Okay.
So I'm, I'm very much aware that, you know, you can't run everything by the numbers. You have to look also at the fact that, you know, the, the numbers will get really, really bad, really, really fast if something goes wrong and not according to your plan. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, that again is, is why this podcast is going to be so important is we're going to touch on those issues. We're going to look at um, other scenarios going forward. We're also going to bring in our own examples of situations that we've been in where, where I've seen it on my end, where again, we're trying to fix some, some operational issues. And eventually that turns into financial uh, further financial issues that need to be addressed, which then of course is, is in your wheelhouse there. So there's a lot of things here to talk about. There's more to come. Uh, we hope you will find this uh, not only informative, but entertaining. Uh, we also encourage you to, to ask us questions. So we're going to send out emails to our connections and, and get feedback from them of what are things they would like us to talk about. And we hope to share them here as well. Uh, but I think for this time, Rich, this is a pretty good kickoff out of the gate. Uh, we we gave make. them some subject matter to chew on and and hopefully they find it interesting. And uh, again, I appreciate your insight on all this. And we will be back next week with another episode. Appreciate your uh, your time and your insight as well, man. All right. Thanks a lot. This has been Books in the Biz. And keep an eye out for us on uh, the podcast. Plus, you can also find us on YouTube. So check us out there. Thanks again.